Welcome, Phoenix fans, to another episode of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Phoenix on AUDL.TV once the season starts. I'm joined by my friend and everybody's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy. Shag, Shag how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing really well. Today was a, a pretty cool day. Today was a cool day. The hours went fast at work, and the, uh, the temperature's been cool on the East Coast, so the humidity's down. It's been very nice out. Yeah, it really surprised us after uh, last week. I thought this could be, you know, an inferno. Have you turned your air conditioning on yet? I hid my air conditioner. I'm a big believer in the fact that uh, I don't need it. I've never used it, so I hid it. I don't want other people to know. In my old house, I told my fellow roommates that the air conditioner uh, didn't work, and then I, I got away with that for two years. And then eventually they turned it on in the third year, and they got annoyed at me. But whatever, I saved a lot of money. <laughs> that would have been, been terrible. <laughs> what are you, you deprived them of air conditioning for two years? Yeah, I didn't see the body of them when they didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. We, we, are, we are doing something completely different in this episode of The Burning Bird. We are venturing past, west of the Mississippi. Um, but not for harvest. Oh, except for Harvest, that's true. I, for, I forgot. I, I still consider Harvest an East Coast guy. That's fair. But, uh, but uh, this is our first foray into an AUDL player from the West Coast. And let me introduce LA Aviators stalwart Mike Teoy. Michael, thank you for joining us here on the Burning Bird. Thank you. It's a pleasure to join. Have you? Uh, how, how's the weather out there in LA? Have you turned on your air conditioning yet? It was a little warm. The uh, past couple weeks but today currently overcast so it's not not bad it's never overcast in la what are you talking about this might be the smog it's true (laughs) that's that's true the the smog is definitely uh la is famous for that um so you uh you you started your career in the audl with the uh san jose spiders is that right Correct. That was the first year that the AUDL opened on the West Coast in 2014. And uh, how did how was that experience for you? Fantastic. It was one of the most fun seasons I've ever played in an ultimate ever club pro. Uh, it helps to have some of the best players not only on the West Coast but in the world at the time. On, on your squad, so it was, it was pretty cool. And I can actually tell you a, a cool story about how I got on the team. So technically I play for L.A. right now. I, I don't live in L.A. I live in Santa Barbara, which is about 90 miles north of L.A. But I went to school at UCLA, so L.A. is kind of my second home. I have a lot of family there. My brother lives there. Anyway, so but in 2014, when I heard that the AUDL and potentially the MLU were opening, I, I wanted to play, but there's no team close to here. Because originally when the West Coast opened, it was Vancouver, Seattle, San Jose, San Francisco, and uh, Salt Lake. Yeah. Utah, if you remember that. Yeah, the Lions. Oh, yeah, the, the Lions. Lions. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, knew, I knew 
that Bo had signed for the Spiders. And I had played on the same team as Bo in a random tournament, and I knew his girlfriend at the time, Kayla. Anyway, I contacted Bo, asked him what he thought about, you know, me trying out for the team. And he talked to the to the owner, Zill, and they're like, yeah, this is, this is a good idea. This could work out. But do you have any other guys in Santa Barbara that we can kind of bring up to the squad? And I said, yeah, I know a couple ballers. And that's how Tyler Bacon, Mark Elbogan, and Jeff Silverman and I ended up on the Spiders pretty much. And like a carpool. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. They got great carpool. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a, that was a great haul for the Spiders that year. You guys ended up winning the uh, AEDL title, right? We did. We did. And it, that year, championship weekend was held in Toronto, which is a great ultimate city. And they hosted an amazing event. Mark Bacon and I got to go out there several days early and just enjoy the city and, and hang out. So it was, it was it was a really fun season. What was your favorite part about Toronto? The city or or just the the tournament or the I mean, city the city in general. I think all of Canada is super clean. And that's something that I noticed right away. And people are friendly. They The ADL put us up in this really nice hotel that was close to the fields. And, yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. The first, I mean, I can tell lots of stories about that weekend. I don't know how much, <laughs> how many stories you want me to tell. But uh, it's, your, it's your time. Just talk away. Tell stories. Okay, I'll I'll tell one really quick story. We the night before our semifinal game against Madison, uh, the Lloyd family they were all hanging out in the hotel bar, and of course, Bo is a a legit star, and they wanted him to show up. And at the time, I was hanging out with Bo and Ashlyn and Mark and maybe a few other people. So we all go to the hotel restaurant bar and the Lloyd family is like, oh, okay, everyone's going to take a celebratory drink. And we're like, okay, okay. So, so we take the drink. I was very thankful. It was a ton of fun. They're like, all right, we're, uh, spiders, you got to do, you got to do like 10 more. And <laughs> <laughs> at that point, I was like, uh, I think I'm good with the one. Thank you very much. And was just chilling. I, I think Bo might have taken at least one or two more. I don't know if he would uh, get upset at me for telling that, but obviously he ended up playing well still. It didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Those are some great stories. Yeah. Were, yeah. Were the, uh, was, the, was the rush in the playoffs that year? Well, yeah, of course they were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so they were they were out drinking the night before their semifinal too, so it wasn't just you. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, it was I think um Mark Lloyd was there as well. And obviously Mark Lloyd is a Canadian legend. 
Oh yeah, no, Mark. Mark has uh, been a thorn in our side out over here in Philadelphia for uh, for a long time. It took him leaving the team for us to finally not to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah seriously. He had to leave. He was getting to be too much of a pain. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was. He was something. I mean, still is good, but I remember in those years he was otherworldly. How did you get the nickname the Sultan? <laughs> Oh, and other other great stories, man. I'm that's a, that's a cool nickname to have. The Sultan—that's <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you think it's cool because some people, when I tell them that I'm the Sultan, they don't think it's as cool. But you know, us <laughs> ultimate people understand. And as ultimate nickname goes, nicknames go. I guess it's, it could be a lot worse. So, um, so uh, like I mentioned, I went to UCLA and. They have a very strong naming tradition, nickname tradition, both on the women's and the men's team. So every year the veterans watch the rookies for all of fall and see if they do anything unique or foolish and (laughs) try to come up with a, a name for them. But the way that Smog, the men's team, does it, and I think Blue does this as well, but I think they have their own traditions. Smog likes to have a few degrees of separation. And so say say you like to wear the color green a lot. They're not just going to, you know, call you a tree or something like that, you know. <laughs> they, they would like to separate it by a little bit so, you, so it, is more disguised because they don't tell you the reason for your nickname for a whole year unless it gets leaked. But most of the veterans are pretty good about not saying anything. So my first tournament was in San Diego as a rookie, and I was hanging out with some of the women on blue who I knew, one of them I knew from high school. So we're just talking, and I say, oh, I want to go watch this game. And they're like, yeah, we want to go watch that game too. So I started walking, and, and they started walking. And But from far away, the veterans are like, who is this rookie who's talking to these blue vets, and he's walking, and they're walking? This doesn't make any sense. And so from there, they tried to come up with all these nicknames like Pan Piper, and they're not. That's, that's a dumb name. And <laughs> Goodness. Snake Charmer, and they're like, ah, oh, no, that's a dumb name. But from Snake Charmer, they eventually got to the Sultan. So, uh, but the the cool thing about the Sultan is that the the names, there's only one given out per year. So the other guy I mentioned, Mark Elbogan, who was, you know, he's he retired way too early, but he was a, a baller on fighters and aviators and made the all ABL first team uh, when he was on the aviators. He's also a the, because he went to UCLA. He's the arbiter. So <laughs> he's technically my great, great grandson, I think, <laughs> in the lineage. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. A, that's, so. a, that's, a, that's a great story. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I you know, I, I can't take any credit for it. The the veterans obviously came up with the name. So, but it, it's a 
it's a really, really cool tradition, uh, the, the naming ceremony and, and just the, the team vibe. And, and for a long time, I didn't know any of the vets' actual names. I'm just calling them by their nicknames. And so nowadays, most people call me COI. But if you go to certain regions, like if you go to Seattle, I know a lot of those older Sockeye guys. They they only know me as the Sultan, pretty much. <laughs> and so if I go up there, all the Seattle players are like, "Oh, you're the Sultan, the Sultan, whatever." And so it 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 lives on in a lot in, in a few areas. That's 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 great. And uh, you you've been with the Aviators ever since your uh, last year from uh, with the Spiders, is that right? Yep. So 2015 was my first year on. LA, but I was actually injured that whole season, unfortunately. So I was kind of an assistant coach. And how was the uh, how what what was it like for you to be a, a coach instead of a player that year? It was it was I I enjoyed it. Obviously, I'd rather be playing, but it it was a good experience for for me to have, and I just wanted to be involved with the team. I wanted to be involved with Ultimate and the ownership was nice enough to, you know, keep me on. They so the way that LA first announced their players was there's the kind of starting seven. And so Mark was in that starting seven and a few other guys like this guy, Eric Listner, who's been on the team since its beginning, and uh, I think this guy Stig, who was super good as well, also retired too early. He was one of those. They announced us one at a time, and so they had announced me, and then I got injured. <laughs> so that was an unfortunate situation, but the ownership was super cool. Just said, hey, we want you on the, on the squad. So I was thankful for that. Was it tough to transition the coaching that year? So I'm a teacher by other profession. Yeah, you're a, you're a music teacher at uh, San Marcos High in uh, in California. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Teaching doesn't always mean you're going to be a good coach, but I think it helps. There's there's something some aspects about teaching that can can really help you with your organization and public speaking, et cetera, et cetera. But I, th- I think the transition was, was not bad. And I, and I wasn't taking a, a huge coaching role. Like I said, I was an assistant coach and, and just trying to help out where I could. And the the whole team was was awesome. And I think, I think that more than anything, it was the experience in the ADL from the previous year, especially through a championship run, that really helped with our success the first year. I mean, we didn't have we we didn't have a ton of success in terms of uh, like making playoffs, but you know, all, all the small things that you don't realize when you're transitioning from club into pro. Um, that that kind of stuff was valuable, I think, to the team. What do you what do you think the biggest difference is between the East Coast um, AUDL Ultimate teams and the West Coast AUDL Ultimate teams? 
Well, I can tell you that the East Coast teams can probably throw a lot better in the wind. <laughs> okay. Uh, besides that, it's your scores out. Your scores out west seem to be very high. They are, and and I think that you know I was joking about the wind, but I think the weather out here is more consistent. And and we go into some windy places, like Seattle is is. Their stadium is really cool, but it can it can be a little breezy in there at times. And but overall, the weather is going to be much more consistent in California than it will be, I think, back east. And so um, that's that's been nice. <laughs> oh, we get destroyed. We get destroyed by weather out here during the AUDL season. We play on uh, the Phoenix used to play on grass, and they've had at least one rain out every season. <laughs> yeah, so we've never had a rain out, and uh, mostly because I remember there was one game that was super rainy in LA. It was a home game, and um, but we could continue to play because it was on turf. So. When you're well, on turf, it's, it's not a it's not a problem. Right, the Phoenix just um, transferred or moved to a new stadium in South Philadelphia called the South Philly Super Site. That it's uh, it's all turf, so that problem will be gone in the future. We'll still have windy and rainy weather, though. That's for sure. Yeah, I think the worst weather I've played was some of the worst weather I played in was actually a game in Utah, and it was very windy and very rainy. Ironically. It was one of the best games I've had. I mean, statistically speaking, I guess um, in my career, which is pretty funny. But um, that was, and that was probably mild compared to what you guys have to deal with. Yeah, it'll snow in Canada on those Canada trips, and you'll get, you know, knocked off your perch when you're in the stands. From that sounds. Terrible. <laughs> they, they, they moved. They moved the Phoenix game one, against the Ado, uh, uh, against the Ottawa Outlaws out of the stadium and into essentially what was a parking lot slash practice field next to the stadium. Oh it my was, gosh! It was absolutely brutal, and it was just pouring rain and muddy and cold, and it was brutal. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that um, my favorite game. Yeah, Shaggy that's, was on, um, Shaggy. Shaggy stood on top of a uh, metal metal bleachers. Announcing the uh, announcing doing in stadium announcing during the storm. It was it was the yeoman's effort by Shaggy. That is incredible. I love that. <laughs> it was great stuff. I'm telling you. That's dedication right there. Oh, we were doing play by play and uh, color commentary under a tent alongside the field with people standing in front of us. We couldn't see anything. It was it was just absolutely. <laughs> It was absolutely a work of art. <laughs> I hope they have that game recorded so I can go watch part of it. Oh, you should. You should. It's it's worth it's worth its weight in gold. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. I'm mean, just talking to you two right now. Is I can tell you are very good at your jobs, and it would be pretty fun. <laughs> I got to start tuning into some more Philly games. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you're listening to Shaggy is much better than listening to me. I'll tell you, he's he's full of all the uh, great stats. No question. <laughs> oh, thanks, Steve. Yeah, no way, no way. All right, like, uh, all right. So, uh, so Michael, you you coached at Santa Barbara High School before you left there to go to teach at San Marcos, if I'm not mistaken. Did you ever talk to the kids there about how great Santa Barbara used to be in the college ultimate scene? Yeah, so I did. I I didn't officially do coach at UCSD. I did help a little bit with the women's team one year, especially in 2010. And then every once in a while, I'll go out there and help because um, whoever is coaching is usually one of my friends, either on aviators or condors. And so we'll we'll go out there. A lot of the community is great. We'll go out there and help with drills, or we'll do a scout squad. But um, all those old school guys that you're talking about, uh, when they're in the, their championship heyday, I know a lot of those dudes. And, and um, for me, it was great. My the timing of my career has been great because I kind of learned a bunch from those players and got to experience a little bit of, I guess, quote unquote, older generation transitioning into this prime ultimate time. And then hopefully departing some of my knowledge onto, you know, the the next generation, which is going to be even better and there's going to be way more opportunity for them to uh to shine really so but yeah those those guys are are, are true ultimate legends um and, and a couple of them still live in santa barbara so it's nice to bounce ideas off of them and and even um people like tom kennedy uh i still talk to every once in a while and that that kind of stuff is just gold. I mean, it's you, you can't you can't get that uh, a lot of places. So, who's Tom Kennedy? Some ultimate historians. The buffs, the ultimate buffs would know who Tom Tom Kennedy is. Yeah, See, this is. So, I'm 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 shocked today. Like just talking to you real quick before you answer about Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, just the the like your community you have out there in California and our community we have here in Philadelphia are so eerily similar. We just have to like like change names of people and the, and the, <laughs> the rest of the commentary applies. It's just it's just amazing. But please please continue. I'm sorry. I don't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh no, it's it's great. I mean you're 100% right. Where there is always someone who. Um, or the, the history of Ultimate, there's, you're always going to have someone that is super important and has played a key. But um, so TK, as we call him, was actually the founder of the UPA in 1979, and its first wait, national wait, director. Shaggy, Shaggy, that's USAU to uh, to you. I know. I was a UPA <laughs> member. Calm down. <laughs> Yeah, and so he was responsible for a lot of the growth in West Coast Ultimate, and um, he he won three 
championships with the Condors in 77, 78, and 81. And, um, you know, he's obviously a member of the USA Ultimate Hall of Fame. They they would consider him one of the fathers of Ultimate, I mm-hmm. think, is is how. So, anyway, he, he's still involved in and has been involved with the Condors over the years, and we've had numerous conversations. And, and then other people like Steve Dugan, who's um, obviously a lot younger than Tom Kennedy. He's a, a friend of mine and has been kind of a mentor as well over the years. He's got multiple world championships, national championship, and then Craig Husack, another person um, who was a member of Black Tide in, in that era, um, all the championships, world championships, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's a it's a cool history um, that we have in Santa Barbara and L.A. and um, and in just California Ultimate in general. I I have to admit to you there, Michael, that I I own a uh, a Condors jersey. Do you? Yes, uh, I I traded my uh, Philadelphia Rage jersey at Nationals, um, and I got a con a SoCal Condors jersey in my uh, in my repertoire. That is uh, awesome. What what uh year is is that it was, from? It, it's from the late nineties. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a good one. You better hold on to that. So that bad boy. Yeah, no, no. or maybe if we cross paths, I can give it back to one of the uh, well, someone that would appreciate it, per- perhaps a tad bit more to me, like yourself. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. I could trade you for a current one. <laughs> I, I don't know you if you would have my size there, Michael. <laughs> That's another story for another time. How long have you played for the Condors, by the way? My first year was 2007. Wow. And awesome. Um, yeah, but I, I've there's been a couple years in there that um that I, I wasn't on the team. But it was it was funny because I realized and, and one of the captains, Dom Legio, he's a current captain of um the Condors. He lives in San Diego, but uh at the end of last season he he gave a little we give a little talk. Each captain talks about one of the players, and, and he was saying, "Well, I guess if we want to make nationals, we got to have Kioi on the team because there hasn't been a year since 2007 that we've made nationals." <laughs> You're the good luck charm. <laughs> it's it's something it's something very just coincidence, but it is it is kind of kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Let's talk about some things that uh, are a little heavier than what we have been talking about. Um, you are a part of the new AUDL diversity group. Can you uh, just uh, touch on that for a little bit? Yes. It is a fantastic group of people, and we created it several months ago. And the basic um, – foundation of it was to just bring more attention to not only players of color in the league and in ultimate in general, but also to how can we um, inspire younger players of color to 
play and how can we provide opportunities for them? Who are the people that are coaching, teaching, and inspiring some of these young young people? And also, I mean, there's there's so many there's so many aspects of it, but um, basically taking a look at how can we improve um, not only the attention to people of color, but just making it, uh, I guess, reflect our society. So how can we get the how can we get the percentage of players in ultimate to match the percentages of uh, different backgrounds in in you know the the U.S. I guess. So, but it's it is a great group, and they have been working really hard. Shout out to that fundraiser that just went down. Um, that was that was a really really cool moment, I think, for all of us, and to see the overwhelming support from the AUDL and, and the players and and the communities. So that was that was really cool. Um, it sounds like the uh, the, the uh, diversity group was uh, formed prior to the whole uh, death of George Floyd in Minnesota. Um, how did that change things for that group in particular, and and for the league in general, in your opinion? So you're correct. It, our our group did start before that unfortunate incident, and so before that, we were focused. We had different subcommittees focusing on on a wide range of things, and so when that happened, basically we all focused on on that and um, had several meetings, and, and especially a, a smaller core group led by Gabe Hernandez was they they were having constant dialogue um, that panel that did the the discussion and, and um, helped, uh, I guess, with the with the fundraiser and and Matt Smith, of course, from Atlanta is a is a huge key piece, and, and there are several others. But yeah, we it it definitely shifted our focus, and I think that it will change the league uh, for forever. It is the is the hope and. Um, I do appreciate the league keeping an open ear and trying to learn and listen to our group and also people of color in general. But I hope it changes the league in terms of let's get more players of color in the league and let's also shine a spotlight on the coaches and the staff and the players that are of color and um because there's a lot of ballers that that you're well aware of but you know maybe we don't see see as many of them as we could that's a that's a great point uh maybe we're uh we're looking at things through a uh a weird lens and just not seeing it. But uh, what were the uh, what were the protests like out in L.A.? So my, I was actually talking to my brother a lot 
um, about right, the protests. Well, on, on, the west, on the West Coast in general. I mean, I know you're yeah. 90 miles north of L.A. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, I mean, I've, I've kept a very close uh, close tabs because I have a lot of friends and, and family in, in L.A. and they've been um, attending protests. And so even, even here in Santa Barbara, it was cool. One of the students of the high school that I teach at uh, organized a a protest walk and hundreds, you know, probably thousands, lots of people participated in that, a lot of young people. And um, so there's, it's, it's just like, I think a lot of other places in the country where people are trying to um, continue their support and show that peacefully and, um, and not stop. And I think that's the key is to continue to to keep talking about it and it's it's not like a a weak project that you know, I, I think some people view it as a, a short thing. Okay, well this is this is it, now we can move on to the next thing. It's it's just gonna be a continu- continuous process and so I, I hope that um people are safe with the protests, but that they continue to happen. Conversations continue to happen. Yeah. Yeah. How, what do you, what do you think we can do to keep the uh, conversation going? So it doesn't like, you know, like you're talking about how normally the, uh, the next news cycle comes about and some of this just goes away. I mean, how can we keep this in the, in the, in the consciousness of people uh, currently to, to make, to make the necessary changes? Well, I think there's always a need for justice somewhere, and we've seen just event after event in the in the modern era now with social media i mean we we can see pretty much everything that happens and so I think when something occurs then it's our responsibility to keep talking about it and trying to make sure that that situation doesn't happen again. But, you know, it is a slow process and we can't just change the system in a day, a week, a month, a year. It's it's going to take um, a lot of time and voting, obviously. And so I think... For me, the way I look at it as an educator, I need to continue to talk to my students about it and and just that that's how one of my main i guess um, how I can contribute is to to help the next generation to be very mindful of it um I'm gonna ask you a question you can you can choose to answer it or not or whatever you want to do with it is fine um but that, have you, have you experienced racism in your life? Yes, uh, of course. And you know, everyone's if if someone has experienced racism in their life, it's 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 all different. It's unique to their um, life. And and I don't think it, by by sharing my story, it's not like a comparison to anyone else. But um, so I'm I'm Japanese. I'm full Japanese and. 
my grandparents were actually in the internment camps. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, talking to them growing up, and then my one of my other grandfathers, he was a member of the 442nd, which was the all-Japanese-American uh, unit that fought in World War II. And so, and, and so that my family has a, a very, <laughs> I guess, uh, deep history with experiencing racism and, um, but me personally, I remember one story that comes to mind is when I was working in high school and, uh, there's this older gentleman that came in. I, I used to work at a sports store. And I was talking to him, making a good conversation, and then he asked to see the manager. And and, um, and he used a, a slur that I will not say, but he, he used, he's like, I don't want to talk to fill in the blank, et cetera, et cetera. And my manager was really good. He's like, hey, you know, we can't say that stuff, et cetera. You know, if you can't keep it under control, we're going to have to ask you to leave, et cetera, et cetera. So, and, and that's happened a few times in my life, just um, people using slurs or people, um, and, and not to generalize, but most of the time it's been people, older people, um, who remember, you know, kind of the World War II time. Uh, and you know that's there's a lot of hate towards Japanese people. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Um, that was uh, that was very poignant what you just said there. Um, and uh, it's something that uh, you know, I mean, a lot of people of of my race, we don't have to deal with any of that and uh and uh this has been an an eye-opening few weeks for sure and uh i'm sort of embarrassed that it's taken this long to have my eyes opened to how bad it's been yeah i think you know i i'm in the same boat as well i'm not um you know before i was aware of a lot of situations but i wasn't necessarily doing enough about it. And so I think a lot of people are in your same, our same situation. And um, in my eyes, that's in the past. You know, it's, it's now is the time that we can really educate ourselves and listen and, and move forward and try to create positive change. And, and if people are of that mindset, then this country will be in a lot better shape because um, cause even just racism at the root of it there's just a lot of anger a lot of hate and um, people experience hate in different ways and so if they can think back on a time that they experienced some type of hate you know that's not going to by any means give them the same experience, but it's not going to feel good. And you're going to feel a tiny bit of context, I guess, with um, what 
what other people experience. Because, yeah, my experience being Japanese-American is much different than someone um, who is black in America. So I would never compare those two. But I can say that this is what I experienced, and this is what you've experienced. Hey, let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. Well, uh, Shaggy uh, has experienced some of that uh, much more so than I, and I'm sure he'll uh, touch on that in a, in a little bit. And um, unless you want to touch on it now, Shag. Uh, no, I didn't really, but I, I will. I am. Right, sorry, uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, man. If you don't want to talk okay. about it. No, I, I'm. Uh, it's also very different for me. I'm Jewish, um, and uh, most of the discrimination that I actually receive is people telling me that they're shocked that I'm Jewish because I don't look Jewish, which I have no idea what that means. Um, yeah. uh, but whatever. The the uh, I, but like I've been attacked for it before. I've been called names. Uh, people have thrown things at me. A lot of things, but mostly I had to seek out um, my own. Uh, oppression if that makes any sense it's, so you know people i had to put myself in a situation where being jewish um was known because if people look at me apparently that's not something that they know uh, so a lot of the discrimination that i've experienced is in is in that so the experience where like i'm on the street and someone comes up to me and and does something that you know is, is rude simply because of what i look like that never happens and that that's something that like uh i've had to to people that I know who have said things to me like, well, like we've been, like I'm also Jewish. I've been attacked for being Jewish. Like they don't seem to get that. And I was like, well, because it's not the same. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, my personal experience is they're not that important for the, what, they're, they're important, but not to like the broader scope of, I think, what's going on. Um, uh, although my my grandparents were much more so, uh, who they were. Um, I'm a first generation uh, American on my mother's side. They were in Europe during the Holocaust and went through the uh, concentration camps in Europe. And so their stories are much more like they've also given me a much broader scope on my own experiences. Like yeah, I have been people have thrown things at me, but like whatever, I can throw I can pick it up and throw it back at them, and it, it will not affect me whereas for them it was a very different experience yeah, yeah well, my my last name is liner which is swiss so i couldn't be more like you know neutral <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make a i'm trying to enter a little <laughs> situation and uh, and bring it back a little bit fellas i'm sorry but uh no that's fine um but um but yeah it's uh i mean i'm a my my dad was born in Italy and um he came over here when he was 2 and um yeah i uh i don't know so you're so you're italian swiss i'm italian and swiss yeah yeah um that's cool yeah it's very uh very european well my and my mom's maiden name is mcdowell so i'm irish too so i have uh i'm irish italian and swiss but my last name is definitely swiss so <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I mean, I, 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 I got beaten up in, in my neighborhood for different reasons. I didn't, uh, it wasn't because I was, um, being treated, uh, racially wrong by any, 
by any stretch of the imagination. So I can only imagine what the two of you had to uh, had to put up with, and what I mean, my word, what Black Americans have to put up with on on a daily basis. Just after talking with uh, James Pollard and Nate Little a little bit, and uh, like uh, there's a story that James said about how he can't walk down the street in Center City, Philly, with headphones in because if he doesn't hear a police officer asking him to stop, it could turn out to be a, a real bad situation. And like that's just, that's something that he like you know something that I personally would take for granted walking down the street with headphones in because who's going to bother me, you know? Yep. And, uh, and uh, that's that's. I think precisely the attitude that needs to change from my, my point of view is like, man, there's, there's people that have it a lot, a lot worse than I have it. And, uh, things need to, things need to even up here a little bit. So, um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping this change is, is definitely permanent. Yeah. I Um, think there's definitely change happening and hopefully it continues well, one one change I don't want to see continue is this stupid quarantine still going on. Um, let me let me ask you how have the uh, how have you and how have the aviators been able to stay in shape, or or what have you guys been doing during the uh, quarantine to stay in shape? It's a great question. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the guys on the team uh, have been very creative. Some have home gyms, which is really nice. Um, I was able to, before everything shut down, I was able to borrow a bunch of um, weights from the gym that I normally train at. So that was uh, really good for me. And so I just kept them in the back of my truck and would drive to a parking lot and basically have a mobile gym there. And the in Southern California, the weather, I mean, it's it's beautiful all year round. Can cannot complain at all. And so uh I was able to work out outside. I, I I've been working out, you know, trying to to do it um at least 5 days a week and so it's been it's been great. It's a different type of training. Um but there's a there's a little grass area up by the Santa Barbara Mission that I live very close to so I'll run up there and I'll do a lot of sprint work, ladder work and all that kind of stuff and so Yeah, but there's been, but there's nothing that you can duplicate like playing though in, in my experience. I mean are you are you a little nervous about what it's gonna be like and if you've done enough when you do finally get back out there? It's it's gonna be a little rough at first. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's gonna all right. be a, I think the the game speed is much, maybe not much, but definitely faster than anything that you can do by yourself, just so the way the game moves. And so I think there will be a decent amount of miscues in terms of where the disc is thrown. And Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, timing, yeah. timing is going to be way off. Timing is going to be rough, but I think for teams that have a core of players that have played together in past seasons, it will make it much easier for them to get back into it. Uh, I think chemistry chemistry is something that you know doesn't really go away 
uh, as long as as long as you've played together enough. So, uh, for I mean, just for example, I know a bunch of my teammates and what they want to do. So I'll, I'll be able to at least predict, and whether I can get the disc there or not is another story. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, uh, well, you 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 individually have never missed a, the playoffs in the AUDL. So um, this year, if they do get to that pod system that they've been talking about, where you're, you, I guess LA would be in a three-team pod with San Diego and I guess Seattle. Uh, San that, Jose, San Jose, okay, actually. San Jose. Okay, that would be your pod. Okay, yeah. our pod, our pod is ridiculously awesome with Boston and Boston, DC, and New York in our pod. But we. <laughs> But we have uh, we have two playoff spots. You guys only have one. Like how? Like what? What is what is your thought process going into that type of situation? That's rough for sure. Yeah, it's rough for everybody. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's gonna be very challenging. I think whoever can. I mean, this is very cliche, but. Yeah, whoever can kind of shake the rust off the fastest. And um, for me personally, it's about decision-making. Our decision-making has to be really good. If we make mistakes in terms of execution, that's fine. But what what I think will be the problem is if people come back and they're just making all sorts of wrong decisions. <laughs> Or risky decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So if, if we can, if we can really play uh, within ourselves and, and um, conservatively at first, I guess that would that would help. That that would be my that would be my strategy is to just kind of feel it out slowly and not try to win a game in the first quarter. <laughs> Well, so the uh, the Phoenix came awful close last year to uh, knocking off New York, which is they went undefeated, and it's easier said than done. But they gave them a couple good games, right? Yeah. Um, let's say the Phoenix were to get that playoff spot, and they matched up with the Aviators in a playoff scenario. What would your feelings be about that? And uh, yeah, what do you what do you know about the Phoenix? So, I would. I think that that's awesome. Uh, besides the fact that there are, you know, there's some health risks, but right, uh, right. Besides all that, it would be great. I'll, I've played in a couple, I guess, interdivisional games, and 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 when we've gone to championship weekend playing the teams from other places, that's been amazing because at some point you can only play the same teams so many times without getting a little tired of it. Uh, I know that Philly has had some great players over the years. And uh, I don't know, I guess, uh, is Sean Mott still on the team? Oh, yeah, Sean Mott's the captain. Yes, sir. He's he's our all-star. Yeah, so I know that he's very solid and then obviously James I know is on the team because I've gotten to know him a little bit better um, because of our group and then 
Christina, Christina is in the uh, AUDL diversity group with you as well. Our, exactly. Our yes. Yes. And she's, okay. they're both fantastic. And um, I remember seeing, I've seen other highlights like the guy, um, Mes, Mesa, Met, Meta. Yeah, Himalaya Meta. Meta. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think he's, he had a, a highlight or something come out, and so I don't I don't know a ton about the team to be honest. I I know that they had back in the day. His name is I think Trey. Yeah, and Trey Captain back. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of old school guys, man, talk about old school. That's amazing that he could still play uh, at the level he did for however many years. Oh, yeah. My experience with him is always he's always a little rough around the edges, but um he seems like a nice family guy off the field. <laughs> That's that a really is, good description of Trey. <laughs> yeah, that is that is that is you're spot on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good read. <laughs> but other other than that, I don't know too much about the squad. So it would be those are always fun games to go into when you don't know much about the what is uh what is something that Philadelphia fans should know about the LA Aviators that we don't already know? Uh well, we're generally maybe you know this, but we're uh, we're good at we're really good at defense. So we play we play pretty solid lockdown D, um, and we're kind of a, a nameless army, right? It's not a lot of stars. On the on the squad, I guess now, you know, Sean McDougal, one of our captains, has had a lot more notoriety. And same with Aaron Weaver, since those guys made the All Star uh, All Star game last year. Aaron Aaron is also a uh, captain, so it's us three: it's Sean Weaver and myself. Um, but other than that, you know, we have a lot of people that no one has ever heard of. I personally dig the logo of the dude with the the goggle on the, uh, his eyes with the uh, scarf flying. <laughs> I uh, I'm, I'm digging the aviator logo, no question about that. It beats the yeah. Growlers logo. Yes, thank you. Of course, of course, it beats <laughs> the Growlers. I mean, everything about our team, besides maybe losing them to the playoffs last year, is better than the Growlers. <laughs> I'm just saying, I uh, you know, I, mean, I look, I like it. I like the red and black combo. I think it's a, uh, I think it's a uh, and white uh, and white jersey combo. I think it's a uh, solid color scheme. I like the, uh, I like the way, uh, the way you guys style out there on the West Coast. It's, uh, you, you guys are doing all right. Thank you, thank you. Yep, yep. We, uh, we do our best. It is, it has been fun to be on the team, and uh, yeah, the credit to. The owners for making that stuff happen, you know. How did they come up with the name Aviators? Well, the I mean, in LA, I think there's a aviation history, and so they were trying to trying to relate it to something that the city is, I guess, known for, and uh, that was that was it. I, I don't even know what the other options were. I wasn't on the on the ground level for that one, but as things go, it could it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. There's no there's no question about that. The Phoenix stemmed from uh, when the Spinners left the AUDL after the first year after winning the title. 
and they started uh, they started the MLU, and uh, and the new AUDL team was the Phoenix rising from the ashes of what was left. Uh, and I uh, like that. That's why the, uh, the the team name here is the Philadelphia Phoenix. So that was uh, George Harris was the one that uh, came up with that. So uh, I mean the know, logo. Yeah, kudos for sure. I mean your logo as well is is dare I say fire. It's very good. <laughs> well done. <laughs> you can't go wrong with a phoenix as your as your mascot, I guess. <laughs> oh, and that's why we are the burning bird. Yeah, love that. <laughs> All right, hey Shag, what do you got, buddy? Oh man. Well, first of all, you had so many cool things to talk about that I you you touched on a lot of them. But I had a question about um Michael, you're a music teacher? Correct. Uh do you teach like all sorts of music? Do you focus on any specific instrument? Is it So I'm the my I guess my technical title is the instrumental music director at San Marcos High School and so I'm in charge of all of our ensembles and we have several of them. Um jazz band, marching band, wind ensemble, uh, we have a pit orchestra, we have an indoor drum line for second semester, indoor winter guard for second semester. So all of those programs are, I guess, under my supervision, and I have a few uh, staff members that help me out. But I teach all grades and all levels of experience, and we travel a decent amount. All those programs compete, so it's fun. It's a it's a very involved and, and busy job. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So uh, my question is, um, I am I'm also a teacher, although at a very different uh, level than you are. I think, and I because um, I teach preschool, not because. <laughs> And I, uh, oh, nice. Yeah, it's fun. Um, and I was trained, uh, I studied history and math in college. And so a lot of times when I'm playing a game, or if I'm just starting a game that's new to me, uh, like Ultimate, I'll think about the game uh, sort of like it is music, like I, uh, almost like I'm dancing. And I am not anywhere close to musician. And then as I become more familiar with it, uh, I it turns into some combination of math and history for me. And I was wondering if, because that's what I study, that's what I'm trained in, I was wondering if uh, you have, like, musical moments on the field. Uh, I don't know exactly what that would mean, but maybe you do. Um, I, that's, that's hard to say. I guess the, the easiest comparison Great question, by the way. Uh, I think the easiest comparison I can think of is uh, the the rhythm of it, like the rhythm of the game, and also the rhythm of the how I cut and stuff like that. So, in a sense, yeah, I guess there are times that I that I do think about it musically, and because um, if you think about timing, timing is can be compared to rhythm very easily and um so so yeah i guess i've never i've never sat and thought about it but now i'm going to <laughs> <laughs> um so I, I guess 
I might have to ask you again after you think about it, but how do you keep yourself from becoming predictable when you're cutting, if, but still like maintaining that kind of rhythm? Yeah. Well, also a very good question. Um, so I think when, when I'm cutting, it's, I try to take a look at the space and figure out how I'm going to get into that space and what timing I need to get into that space. So, um, but that changes. So I think the situation allows the cutter to be uh, sometimes unpredictable. And also since attention is drawn by my teammates, I can really find a lot of openings. So it's easy to get open if my defender is poaching. <laughs> but um but yeah, I, I work I I watch a lot of Ultimate and that and I watch film of myself playing and so I, I try to look at things that I'm doing on a regular basis and how I can change that. So um I guess that's the the student part of it just being a student of the game. That's that's one thing that I have been my whole career is just a student of the game, trying to soak up as much information as I can from other people and from watching. And I just, I really enjoy the sport. And so there are some people that don't watch any ultimate and can't tell you anything about anyone else. But, you know, I like, I like to, to know those things. So speaking about that, um, I mean, we don't know, we you have to be like a pretty huge name for us to know, you know, the people on the West Coast teams over here. Like I know Khalif Al-Salam and Mark Burnett, and that might be the extent of the Cascades that, whose names I know. So who are some people on your team that are like maybe newer or or maybe they're, you know, they played on the team a couple of years, but we might not have heard of them, but you think like they definitely deserve recognition. Well, the I mentioned Eric Listner earlier he's he's a guy who's been on the team they call him Turok um and he's he's very solid good throws um very athletic and has had a, a few super highlight plays um there's you know the other guys that I've also mentioned like Bacon I think Bacon is starting to be or is is known in a sense, maybe not to you guys, but um he's he's one of our I guess well better better known players. Um and we picked up a couple new guys this year from the Growlers, Marcel Osborne and Bailey Wu. And those guys I was really looking forward to bringing them into the fold because um yeah, they're, they're great. Uh, Danny Landisman was our young gun phenom last year, a bunch of highlights. So some people remember Hawk Jimenez because he made the all-star team. He was from Colombia. But the other guy who was new was Danny Landisman. And th- remember that name because he's going to be ridiculous. Um, there's There's a... Like three young guys on the team last year that were all really good. I just don't know. I think KJ Pooh is coming back 
Um, but this other guy, Calvin Brown, I don't know if he's coming back. Um, and then I guess, I mean, there's so many. This this guy, Andrew Padula, his name is nickname is Tweak. He's one of the best handler defenders, not only in our division, but probably in the country. Um, other people have been on the team. Blitz, actually, Mitchell Steiner, you, you guys might know him. He started out on the East Coast. He played for the Buffalo uh, – I don't know what the Buffaloes – You mean the Rochester Dragons? Oh, the Rochester Dragons. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't get Steve. He was on that team, and um, he's been playing. He's been playing in the AUDL for a long time now. Even though he's he's pretty young still, I think. Um, yeah, he played Rochester in 2012 and 2014. I guess he took 2013 off. Anyway, those are a few few names for you. I was uh, I was head coach of the Phoenix in 2014, so Mitchell and and, uh, and, and my paths have crossed. Yeah, but it, it looks like he wasn't. Okay, so in 2014, it looks like he only. I just looked him up. Okay. He only played two games that year. <laughs> so. I um, probably well maybe maybe he was on the field when we shook hands. I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but since the since LA's. Uh, inception, he's played um, – actually, in 2018, he was injured the whole season. But 2015, 16, 17, and last year, he's played a lot of games for us. Anyway, he's a, he's a throwback AUDL guy. Sure. I was I was even starting to think Buffalo had a team for a second when you started talking. I'm like, why, why can't I remember what name the Buffalo team was? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why I said Buffalo. Shows <laughs> you how – well, I know that area over there. That's hey, Buffalo and Rochester are practically the same. They're right there. Yeah. Unless you're right. from either of those places, and then you're probably annoyed at hearing people the, say that. The, though, yeah, right. You probably, <laughs> you probably now hate the burning bird because I just said that. <laughs> Somewhere Brian Jones is getting real upset. <laughs> He's shaking his fist at us. You'll <laughs> oh, never come back on the podcast after that, Steve. I know. What was I thinking? Something so atrocious. <laughs> oh my word so michael what is your most memorable game whether it be usau uh audl a tryout or whatever it may be whatever comes to your mind what is what is your favorite story that you're going to tell your grandkids that, that are that are going to be hanging on your every word as you're in the rocking chair when you're 80 wow that is a tough, tough question. <laughs> Played in a lot of games. That, so I let's see. Uh, let me think for one second. Yeah, I guess. Well, the most the most meaningful game would have to be the championship game, the AUDL championship game in 2014. But I didn't. I mean, for me, statistically, it was not a. It was not a good game at all, but um, just the fact that we won and it capped off a great season, I think I will definitely remember that forever. Um, I, I See, and 
There's been a I lot somebody, of somebody with your resume. You you've been in a lot of big moments, and uh, I'm sure they're all very special. So maybe I'm putting you on the spot a little too much there. I apologize. <laughs> I mean, I think another another great um, moment was for Condors when we had decided to combine kind of the best of the Southern California players to make a team. The first year we failed. We thought we were going to be a lot better than we were. And so we had to come back the next year, which was 2017. And we worked really hard and we made, we made nationals that year for the first time in several years. And that was a really, that was a really, really good feeling. So, um, that one felt like we had put in the effort and earned it. And uh, just the collaboration was had finally paid off to, to make it back to, to Natty. So that, that was another one. And then I guess I, I remember last season, I don't know why I'm thinking about this game, but generally when we play San Jose, I have, I, I have a good game and, and last year we played them at, at in San Jose and had one of my best games I think in the ADL um was plus ten or twelve or something statistically and that and but besides the stats it was just I was feeling really good and feeling like I was playing really well and um that that game oddly sticks out of my mind even though it was just like a regular season game. So I don't know. There's I can, uh, there's so many games that I remember that were. Hey, what what's it like playing with Bo? Is it like playing with Elvis? <laughs> Bo Bo is such a a funny guy, and I can I guess I can say whatever I want because he's not going to listen to this. Not no offense, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't really listen to to ultimate stuff. I don't think. Um, no, there's no chance Bo Kittredge is listening to the Birdie Bird. I guarantee it. You're safe here. This is a safe zone here, Michael. So, Bo is just when we, when I play with him, he's he is clearly dominant, but it's a switch, and you can tell when he's when he flips the switch because he would roll up to games and warm up in his his like pajama pants. And so everyone else is like halfway through the warm up and he's kind of, you know, like toddle around in his in his pajama pants and, you know, just chilling. Uh obviously no one works out harder than him off the field. So it's just funny when he shows up to the game he's he's just hanging out. And then, you know, the, the game starts and we're playing and if we are if if we got down by a point or two, that was that was game over. That was Okay, now Bo is playing every single point, and he's upset, and he's gonna just ruin the other team. So <laughs> if, if, the, he, legend, the legends are the the stories are true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He doesn't like to lose, so he'll he'll turn it on. He'll he'll definitely turn flip the switch when when he wants to. <laughs> And what's it? I mean, I, I can't imagine what it's like to even have the, like the athletic ability to flip a switch like that. Uh, it's and and back in 2014, that was still when he was kind of. I mean, I guess he was in his prime, um, or 
the the edge of his prime. I don't know, but he was still just a freak. Just would do some crazy things. Well, even so, last year, last year against Raleigh, when New York played Raleigh on the AUDL TV, that it was yep. a uh, like he had a, a big goal at the end of the game where he was sprinting wide open deep and. Yep. Uh, it's like, you know, you, you talked about Trey Katzenbach. I mean, uh, Bo, I mean, is uh, is approaching that stratosphere. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he's he and is he's no showing no signs of letting up. He's showing no signs of letting up. I agree. Like, I think Bo, he, he shares what a lot of people share. But I can relate to him in that sense where he loves the game. And whether he shows it or not, it's very true. And he and he he likes the challenge. He likes to play, and he likes to win. And so, and he's done a lot of that. I mean, he's he has done a lot of winning. <laughs> yes, he has. No question. Um. All right. Do you have any uh, questions for us? Perhaps. Um. Any anything on your mind you want to ask us? I guess uh, the only, I mean, I'm very curious about why you guys started this podcast. Oh, uh, well, we, we are, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a long time Philadelphia ultimate player. I played uh, ultimate in Philadelphia here for 32 years. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I said, you know, so I, I, I still like to keep a part of the the scene and whatnot. And um, last year when my good friend, uh, my good friends Jeff George and Christina Chung bought the team uh, and uh, Shaggy was there and uh, we decided why not start a podcast and talk about the games and let's see where it goes. And we started off at a at a local bar just talking to each other about the games and uh and um it's grown to where uh now we've we've officially gone national we, <laughs> we, like you know what i mean we've interviewed we've interviewed yeah. the Atlanta hustle coach uh, we've been, we've interviewed the uh the uh, now the uh, LA aviators Mike Kidoy like this is, uh like we are uh, we are blowing up on the uh, on the uh, on the podcast as far as we're concerned <laughs> you know i mean this is this is great and uh um but uh, yeah well you have a new fan i'm going to start tuning in now <laughs> oh, all right well th- there's new episodes every week and uh shaggy keeps cranking them out and we just uh you know he he like literally, literally like shaggy gets a lot of credit for these burning birds and uh <laughs> I want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, he, he does a lot of the behind-the-scenes work, if not all of it, and uh, to make sure that these uh, come out the way they come out. And uh, it's uh, it's like I'm I'm particularly appreciative, and uh, like he he's the one that set up this interview, and uh, and you know this has been uh, this has been great. I've I've had a great time. We're yeah. two a week in quarantine. <laughs> Well, well, that's the other thing is like when we started this, we were like when we went heavy into the, this year's Burning Birds, we were starting quarantine. So this has now been a, a couple months of uh, of us talking to each other on a on a regular basis, and uh, it's been great. Um, most other people would be sick of me by now, but somehow Shaggy is hanging in there, and I and I couldn't be more proud of him. <laughs> 
know. Well, it seems like you guys get along well, at least. So that's good. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm a long-time Philly player. I've been playing for five or six years. He put me on his summer league team by accident because the player that he really wanted was Dagger. That was, that was not an accident. <laughs> I had to take you. It was forced upon me. Yeah, it's been uphill ever since. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> All right, well, for, for Mike Keoy of the L.A. Aviators, for Alexander Shaggy Stragus, I'm Steve Leiner. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Burning Bird.